quick to this morning. I noticed when I was looking at this little study guide thing, whatever you want to call it, that I passed on to you. There's one, one, at least one uh, mistake. You may find more. I don't know. But I did find one. If, if you're happening to, to you know, want to follow along with that this week, the scripture there for today and tomorrow uh, should say Galatians 5, 22 and 23, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, there actually is no such thing as Galatians 2, 22 and 23. It ends with verse 21. So uh, anyway, you would have gotten there and wondered if I was making you know, up some new scripture or something. But anyway, uh, that's Galatians 5, 22 through 23. If you notice any others, uh, any other mistakes, uh, feel free to email me, and I'm not sure how I'll communicate with everybody before next Sunday, but at least I'll know how about that. So... Um, it's, it's interesting that I was kind of looking back at my notes in the time that I've been here, and we've talked about our finances quite a bit. And I, I didn't come in loaded. Nobody told me, you better preach on finances because these people are just messed up. Nobody told me that. Um, and I, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't have any apologies to make for preaching on money. I, the Bible talks about it all the time, and so I think we ought to talk about it in church. Might as well. And, and uh, Scripture has a lot to say about it, but it's just interesting. I thought, well, you know, God kind of bringing that back around to us from time to time. And certainly, uh, God has taught me a tremendous amount through just my life and the Scriptures and all that. And Nancy and I have been married for nine and a half years and, and still have a lot to learn, but have learned so much about uh, God's money and how to handle it and all that. And so, anyway, it was just kind of interesting. You may may think, well, yeah, I kind of noticed that. And uh, you know, what are you trying to say, preacher? What do you got to say to us? I, I don't have any, I have nobody in mind with these particular messages I preach. I'm not sitting there hoping that person shows up and so I can talk directly to them. That has nothing to do with it. Uh, but I, I actually, I enjoy talking about what the Bible has to say about money. I enjoy talking about it. And when I served at a church in Atlanta, it was interesting. The very first message that I ever preached there on a Sunday morning, now, now keep in mind that, that I worked primarily with students there, but occasionally would fill in for the pastor. The very first message I ever preached there was on money. And so I was brand new there, and, and I, I actually volunteered to talk about it, so I can't blame the pastor for putting me on the spot. But uh, it was interesting because I got up, and, and the very, literally the very first time I stand in front of the entire church to, to preach to them, it's about money. So I, I had our, one of our staff members who was kind of creative and could do things like that. I had him put together a, a shirt. Now, uh, understand that this this church was uh, was a very I'll say very casual kind of church. If you understand what I mean, I wore a pair of jeans that day and a golf shirt to preach. Now some of you just fall on the floor if I wore that in here, and I understand that. Uh, I don't have any problem with it. I don't mind getting dressed up. I kind of like getting dressed up on Sunday, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. But so I walked in with a with a white shirt, white golf shirt, and a pair of jeans on, and and I I told him I said, now this is the first time I stand in front of you. And I understand that some of you kind of been checking me out, not real sure what to think about me to begin with. And now we're going to talk about money, the very first time I stand up. So I said, well, you know, I said, some of you, you know, want to take a shot at me. So I said, go ahead. And I turned around, and I'd had the guy put a target on the back of that shirt. And so uh, nobody took me up on the offer to shoot me that day. But, uh, but anyway, uh, I, I, I told them to tell you the same thing. I really do. I enjoy talking about what the Bible has to say about money because I, I firmly believe that... Uh, it obviously was a big issue when the Bible was being written, and, it, and things haven't changed. I mean, the way people handle their, their money and the resources God gives them has never changed. I mean, if it was that big of a deal that God mentioned over and over in the Bible back during those days, I mean, it was a big deal then, and obviously you well know 
in today's world, it's a huge deal. I mean, especially given recent times in our country, just in the last two months of all that's happened, the, the stock market and inflation and the, all these bailouts and all this stuff. I mean, it's a huge issue. And, and you may not understand all that, and I can't claim to understand how all the economics work. I'm not an economist. I took one economics course in college, and so I, I'm not qualified to talk about economics. But what I hope that we can all understand is that, that God's Word is qualified to teach us what, uh, what we ought to do with our money, regardless of whether you understand the stock market or any of that. And so don't feel like tonight that you've got to have a, a firm handle on everything that's going on in the money world and all that stuff. And maybe some of you spend a lot of time in front of the television. You could explain it all to us, and we'll talk about that later on. We're going to look at God's Word tonight and see what He's got to say. I want to take you to a, a scripture, a passage of scripture that contains two, what I would guess are, are for, for, for many of us, probably very familiar verses. Maybe you didn't know this is where they were, and maybe you didn't know they were even in the same passage of Scripture, but, but they're there. I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians over in the New Testament, one of the books that Paul wrote. And uh, given all the research has been done, Paul wrote this book uh, largely, uh, most people believe that he wrote it from uh, prison, probably on house arrest toward the end of his life when he was in Rome. And he's been arrested, and he's, he's writing letters, and he's still ministering to people. And, and we get to the end of the book of Philippians, in chapter 4. And I want you to, to look with me. We're going to start in verse 10. And I, if you're taking notes, I didn't give you a sheet tonight, and, and I, I just failed to do that. And I apologize. But if you're taking notes somewhere, I'm going to give you three, just three general words to write down. And after each one, we're just kind of fill in some gaps according to what uh, Paul is writing here, what the Scripture says. So uh, just three things that, that it becomes pretty obvious that we desperately need, uh, three changes we desperately need in our bank accounts. Now there's certainly, if we were to look and identify, well, if I could, if I could make some changes to my bank account, I'd simply add a few zeros before the decimal. I mean, I, you know, that's what I would do, you know. And, and I, I would venture to say that most, if not everybody in here, most of us, would say, yep, you know, I'd volunteer for that. I wouldn't turn that down. If somebody came with a few more zeros, I'd take it. Uh, if I could change my bank account, I would not live check to check. I would have a little bit more money coming in, and we'd have a little bit more financial security. And if I could change my bank account, you know, I would, would, would make sure that my kids were taken care of long after I'm gone. I'd pay for this for them, and I'd pay for that. And we could make all kinds of changes, and, and those are just obviously some generic examples that many of us would consider. And, and yet, if you're honest, and if we were to talk one-on-one, -on -one, and I could really pin you down and you could pin me down on, on the root issue, we'd probably say, you know what, really, I'm not sure that, that how much money I have in my bank account is, is really the issue. Now, really, what I'm looking for is just to, to kind of feel a little more secure. Really, what I'm looking for is some way to, to feel like that it's not such a burden to, to operate with my money. I mean, it doesn't weigh me down. I'm looking for some freedom. And I mean, if, if you were honest, if I'm honest, more money is probably not going to be the, the solution to the problem. Now, you might say, well, you know, it would be for me. I'll take it. You know, I'm, all right, that's fine. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of us would disagree. But, but the truth is, it, it goes a little bit deeper. And so as we look at this passage tonight... I, I want us to understand that, that that's what we're going for, is kind of what's the root issue here. And as we get to, to one verse that, I, that probably will be familiar to all of us, understand that it's interesting to me that Philippians 4.13 is, is found in this context. 
I can do all things through Christ or through Him who gives me strength. That verse has probably been quoted as much, if not more, than any other verse. Probably right behind John 3.16. I mean, this is a verse that athletes, whether they're Christians or not, they're going to claim it. Because I can go out and I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. And, and anything that we've ever come up against that's been a tough deal, you know what, I, just, I can do it because God gives me strength through Jesus Christ. And, and it's important, and, and maybe you get a little bit of a how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible kind of lesson along with this tonight. It's important for us not to take one verse and yank it out of the Bible and make it be what we want it to be. It's important for us not to do that. Because the context or what's around those verses have a lot to say to us. And the main thing that, that should be a basis for us when we're reading the Scripture is the, the original intent of the author. Who wrote it and who was he writing to and what did he want them to understand? And when God inspired that through the Holy Spirit, what was the purpose that the author wanted to get across? And so understand that, that it's, it's, it sometimes maybe makes us feel a little better, but it can be a dangerous way to study the Bible just to take one verse out and start applying it to different things that it may or may not apply to. So when we get to Philippians 4.13, have in mind what we've just read, and then you'll see what we'll read right after that, and it'll help kind of understand why Paul wrote Philippians 4.13. Check it out in verse 10. I rejoice greatly, Paul writing to the Philippians, in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. The, the first change that I think we, that we desperately need in our bank accounts is contentment. Contentment. Paul, is it, when he writes this, it's interesting. He says to the Philippians that, that he's thankful for their gift, that they had continued to, to give for him. When they had opportunity to show it, they gave and they supported him. And he says... I'm not saying this, verse 11, because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. It's interesting, that contentment, if you, if you want to kind of fill in the gaps here with me, I'm going to like I said, give you three words. The first one is contentment. And, and then some things that I think from what Paul is writing we can kind of can get from that. First thing about contentment is it's learned. It is a learned, uh, I guess, trait in your life. Most of us were not born content. Most of us probably are not content tonight. Because it's something that's learned. Think about little kids. Throw a toy in a room full of three-year-olds, and nobody's content because there's only one toy, and everything's mine. You know, we deal with that right now at our house. That's just the way it is. You know, every kid goes through that. We've all been there at one point or another. Sometimes, though, those, those feelings never leave. Everything is, is mine. I'm discontented because I don't have more. Think of it. If you're in advertisement or if you, if you marketed and you majored in marketing or, or advertisement or whatever, or if you just watch television or read the newspaper or listen to the radio, you know that the entire goal behind marketing and advertisement is to convince you that what you have is not good enough, that it's not going to last, and that you need something different that's better. I mean, that's the whole thing. Why do you, why do you get bombarded with thousands and thousands of advertisements every week? Number one, because they're trying to make money and convince you in the process that you don't have what you really need to keep you discontented all the time. You ever been just driven to get something? I mean, it just absolutely drives you nuts that you don't have it. You've seen the commercials, and you know all about it. You've done the research and all that, and then you get it, and it ain't that great. You ever been there? 
man, I can't stand that. You know, that product that looks so good that, that you know, it, it's just like when you're hungry and you see something, you know, commercial from McDonald's or something, and that burger looks great, and you get there, and it's been sitting there for about 30 minutes under a warmer, and it's not any good. You know, the whole idea behind advertisements is to get you to be discontented all the time, make you want something else. So it's, it's learned our country certainly does not promote contentment. It doesn't. Our country promotes advancement and always reaching for something beyond what you currently have. Whether you can pay for it or not, it doesn't make any difference. Just go get it. And so contentment is certainly learned. And Paul, when he wrote this word, I have learned to be content, that word is actually a, a word that in the, in the Stoic philosophy would mean self-sufficient. So if you're filling in gaps, you're to, to be content is learned, but it's not Stoic and it's not self-sufficient. I probably, this is probably one of the things that, that I struggle with. Maybe, maybe you're like me, maybe not. I, I simply take life as it hits me and just kind of take it. And I'm just, there I am, and, you know, it's just kind of like getting punched or something. I just take it. And sometimes I feel like that I should just be self-sufficient enough or strong enough in my own character, in my own mind, just to be able to take whatever comes at me and just to kind of be stoic emotionally about whatever happens. And that's kind of my default. And somehow I, I think I convince myself from time to time that if I can show zero emotion whatsoever about any circumstance in my life, that I'm somehow closer to God because nothing affects me. And that doesn't make any sense, but that's sometimes a way that I think. Maybe you're like that. I don't know. But, but what Paul is not writing here is that we should just passively accept anything that comes into our life, and, well, just no big deal, and I shouldn't really be upset, or I shouldn't be emotional, or I shouldn't feel that in any way. That's not what he's saying. Because Paul's version of contentment is not finding something within yourself that you can pull yourself up one more time by your bootstraps, and I'm going to make it, and I can do it, and, and everything's okay because I know I can do this. And that's not what Paul is is talking about because the truth is if you try to find contentment or try to find what you're looking for within yourself you can look forever and many of us have been down that path for several years before and maybe seen kids or grandkids or friends or somebody try to find what they're looking for in this world in themselves and what they can do and what they can produce and they simply look forever and so the key to contentment is not just working hard or training your mind or something like that the key to contentment is is the strength given by Jesus Christ in verse 13. I can do everything. I can be in want, Paul says. I can have nothing and I can have a lot because the secret of contentment is the fact that Jesus Christ strengthens him. It's interesting that that verse is found in this context. Paul's original intent then would have been for it to be read in this context. Now, can it have meaning elsewhere? Certainly, because can Jesus give you the strength to do anything at all? Absolutely. The Bible is clear that without Him we are nothing, but with God all things are possible. So this verse can't apply other places, but it's just interesting to me that he includes it in a context of talking about contentment. And so the key to contentment, the reason that contentment is possible, is because of the strength given to us by Jesus. And, and I can't fully explain. This is one of the frustrations I have as a pastor, to be honest with you. I can't fully explain everything in the Bible. I can't do it. I try, let me tell you, I try every single week to explain as best I can. I try to understand as best I can explain it all. Now, some of you just think, well, you just lost my vote. If we voted again, I ain't voting for you. But the truth is this, I can't explain it all. There, I don't know what, I have no idea, because God is, He's different than I am. He's different than us. He's just, He's, he's not, like, just superhuman, or He's just, he's, 
he's God and he's different and I like that, but but I can't fully explain him. I, I can't do it. And 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 but there's something about when when we live each day pursuing Jesus Christ, when we let his spirit be our guide, when we get ourselves somehow so focused on him and filled up with his spirit, there's something that happens that he empowers us to live in ways that we cannot live on our own. And, and that's, what I, that's kind of where I stop. I, I don't know how that works together because that's something only God can do. Only God can empower you to do things that otherwise you couldn't do in your own strength. And I can't give you a how-to guide on all that. All I can tell you is this, that when you live according to the strength of Jesus Christ, when you walk with Him every single day, when your sights are set only on Him and you pursue Him more than the stuff of this world, that somehow He empowers you with the strength to be content in whatever circumstances you're in. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right before that, he said, that's the secret to contentment, is the strength of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, if you know anything about his writing, talked a lot about walking and living by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The flesh is what we can see. The flesh is our natural desire. The flesh is all the stuff that leaves us dissatisfied. We try to do it on our own. And he says, no, no, no. Walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Now, again, I, I can't explain all this stuff, but I know there is something miraculous that happens that only God can do when you set your sights on Him and you pursue Him every single day and you let His Spirit fill you up. He gives you strength that you cannot explain. He gives you contentment that, that you shouldn't have in the middle of your circumstances. That contentment is not found inside of you as a human. It's found only in the person of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. So contentment is something we desperately need, a change we desperately need in our bank accounts. But not only that, another change is generosity. I have to admit to you, I have been overly impressed with the generosity of this church and these people that go here every single week. I've just, I've, Nancy and I, we talked about it. And, I, and, I, and when people ask me, and I, you know, I, I talk to different folks, just friends of mine, and they say, well, how are things going? What's your church like? And I kind of explain kind of where we are and the size of our church and kind of what we do. And I said, but I, I tell you this, I said, I, I have been overwhelmed at the graciousness and generosity of the people of this church. And, I, and I'm not just trying to make you feel good tonight or score points with you. I'm just, it's not that, so, I, so this one, this one is one that, that, like I said, I don't have anybody in mind and I'm trying to pick you out, all right? And say, so, you know what? If you all would just be more generous, you know, do you know what we could, that's not even, that's not the point. I want, to, I want to encourage you with the fact that I, I, I have seen that firsthand in a lot of different ways and, and in ways that probably that, that some of you know about and maybe others don't because maybe I'm the only one who hears about it. I don't know. But, but I do know that, that, that generosity is, uh, as we fill in the gaps here, generosity is, is unique. Um, check it out in verse 14. Paul continues, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Generosity, I mean, Paul points it out, generosity is unique. You ever heard of somebody, I mean, maybe you have, somebody's just being accused of you, they're just way too generous. I can't stand that. They're just way too generous. You ever, I mean, you ever had some... Nobody has ill feelings towards somebody who's too generous. I mean, how can you be too generous to begin with? Most of the time we just think, well, they're just too greedy. Well, they just hang on to their... They won't give anything to anybody. They just drive me crazy. 
Nobody's ever been accused of, of being too generous. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times we, we typically assume that God's blessings maybe are for us. We get a little bit extra, we get a raise, we get a bonus, we, do, we get this, we get that, and we just think, okay, whew, sweet, what am I going to spend it on? What can I go get? I can finally get what I've been wanting. And, and, and sometimes there's no doubt that God, because He's the perfect Father, just gives blessings to His children. And, and that's Scripture and biblical. There's no doubt about that. And yet sometimes those blessings God gives us are not for us. And, and yet most of the time our default, I would say, is to assume they are. I think a lot of times we're, we're asking the, the wrong questions. You ever, you ever I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this one. Have you ever struggled with tithing? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? Uh, you ever struggle with the whole idea behind giving 10%? You know, I mean, that, it's, that's the kind of the biblical basis behind the tithe, and God set that up in the Old Testament, and, and Jesus never struck it down in the New Testament, so you can argue back and forth and all that. But, but yeah, I don't know if you've ever struggled with, like, golly, man, that's a lot. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, I only get to keep 90%. How am I going to make it on 90% of what I got coming in? You don't even understand. 90% of what I got coming in ain't much. You know what I mean? I ain't going to cut it. You know what I mean? Have you ever been there, asked those questions? I think, I think largely we ask the wrong questions. I heard a guy put it this way. He had $10 in his hand, 10, you know, 10 $1 bills. And he, and he realized that, that it, what he did was he gave, it, gave this example. He said, think about it this way. If you don't own any of this stuff, and somebody comes and gives you these ten one dollar bills, and they say, you know, "All right, here, here's the deal. I want you to give just give one back to me, and the rest you can use at your discretion. Be wise with it, but use it at your discretion." The the question then, as we view ourselves not as owners but as the manager of that money, the question then becomes, "Not why are you taking that?" It becomes, "I get to keep this much? Are you kidding?" I mean, this, you, you're going to let me keep 90% of what you just gave me. You, you're going to trust me with that. Do you realize that I'm not the smartest money manager in the world? Yep. Do you realize that I may make some mistakes? Yep. you realize that you're only asking me for 10% back? Are you kidding me? Yep. And, and maybe we're asking sometimes the wrong questions. I don't know where you are with tithing. I, I would... I would would encourage you to get get to ten percent as quickly as you can. I, again, this is one of those deals that I can't totally explain. Um, I really don't know how God works it all out to somehow meet all your needs on ninety percent. I don't know how He does that because it, on paper it doesn't make any sense to me at all. It just doesn't. It's, but He does, and so it's just that's the truth of His word. And and so, you know, if we view ourselves as managers and not owners, it'll change our perspective completely. And so generosity is very unique. Uh, Paul talks about the fact that nobody but the Philippian church was supporting him. It, it also it breaks the power of greed. Uh, generosity breaks the power of greed. In verse 17, Paul says, Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. Paul, Paul in this context, is, is challenging the Philippians and, and appreciating what they've done generously toward him. Not because he wanted their money. Not because his ministry was going to fall apart because they didn't give to him. But because he knew what would happen in their hearts if, he, if they gave. And, and understand this. This is, why, this is one of the reasons why I have no problem talking about money in church. Because I'm not asking for your money. This church is not asking for your money. The truth is this. I know that something crazy happens. Miraculous happens. Incredible happens when you give. 
I, I don't know. Again, I can't explain it all. I just know something happens in your heart. And I think a lot of it has to do with it breaks the power of greed. Generous giving breaks the power of greed, and it sets our hearts free. And we live differently as a result. I can't tell you how many people I've come into contact with and I've heard stories of, they said, you know what, I was always hesitant to give to God. I didn't trust the church, I didn't know what they'd do with it, I didn't know if God's Word really said that or not, I wasn't sure, I didn't know how I was going to live on 90%, I didn't know how, 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 how all this stuff was going to happen. But they said, you know what, I just, I just started doing it, and it's amazing what God has done in my heart, what God has done in my life, how much He's grown me. Paul's desire was not to receive their money but to see what God would do in their hearts as a result of their generosity. That's what was more important to Him. And trust me, that's what's more important to God. Because if God wanted the 10%, He could take it anyway. If God wanted it all, He could take it all to begin with. So it doesn't make any difference whether it's 10% or 50% or 90%. It doesn't matter. It has to do with our hearts. And so I'm, again, impressed with the heart of this church to be generous as a whole. And I also understand this, that as a whole, yes, we are a very generous church, but I'm sure there are probably individuals who struggle with this, who struggle with the idea of giving generously. It breaks the power of greed, and it's more about your heart than it is about the amount of your gift. I don't want you to ever feel like that because you can't give what you think other people are giving in a total sum, that somehow your gift is less than maybe their gift. Because here's the truth. If we were to look at it and say that somebody gave, well, this person gave $100 and all I can give is $10. Who's to say that that $100 comes from a generous heart? I don't know. I sure hope it does. Because the truth is this. If we give $100 and it's not out of a generous heart, it's kind of an empty gift to begin with. And I'm not sure how pleasing it is to God. But if you give 10 bucks or $5 or whatever it is in your percentage, I don't know what that shakes down to, but out of a generous heart, a heart that's obedient to God, that gift then obviously is much more about the heart than it is the gift. And then in verse 18, Paul says this, I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied. Now, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Generosity is unique. It breaks the power of greed, and it's pleasing to God. Obedience pleases Him from a cheerful heart, from a heart that's set on Him. And they gave generously, even to the point these Philippians did, of possibly leaving themselves in need, because in verse 19, Paul follows it up with this, and he says, and my God will meet, or shall supply, some of your versions say, all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Interesting to me that I can do all things through Christ, and God will supply all your needs. Two verses that are probably very familiar that we have claimed over and over in different settings. That they're in the context of how the Philippians operated with their gifts toward Paul and their hearts toward generosity. The third thing that we need, along with contentment and generosity, is trust. We're going to have change that's going to happen. It's going to be God type of change in our bank account. It's going to start with contentment and generosity and, and trust. God will supply your needs. That's one of the simplest verses in the Bible, but probably one of the most difficult to believe and trust in. And, and we typically, now here, here's, here's what human nature does. We typically don't quote this verse until we got some major needs. 
You know what I mean? We tip, well, I tell you what, when we got some needs. I'm gonna, well, where was that? Flip, I'm going to write that down. Come back to that one. I got some needs. God will supply all your needs. You know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with when you're in need of, of saying, you know what? God, now listen, we need to talk because I know that you said you're going to supply my needs. I'm not seeing it yet. Okay? So, you know, God's big enough to handle that kind of prayer. Talk to Him about everything. But, all right, that's when we pull that out. It's typically more difficult to pull that out when, when we got pretty much everything we need. And I realize that that in America we've got folks who have all they need and folks who don't have all they need. And, and yet, according to the world standards, we pretty much have everything we need plus some. And, and it's difficult to, to trust that God will supply all of our needs. Because why? Because we can take care of most of them. I mean, think about it. In our country today, if you want, you for the most part, you can have. If you want. You can have, for the most part. Now, it may not be in every single situation. I don't know every person's financial situation here, and that's not even the point. But, but in our country, typically, that's the case. If you want something, go work hard for it. Go, go get some schooling. Go get a different job. Go do whatever you've got to do, and you can get it, typically. And so we've been trained in our American dream pursuit not to trust God. Now, am I a down on America? No, I think we live in the greatest country that's ever existed in the history of the world. And yet, at the same time, it also comes with some baggage. It comes with the fact that sometimes our pursuit of this American dream and our realization of the American dream, that I can have it better tomorrow than I did yesterday, and I can have it better than my parents, and I can have it better than my grandparents, that sometimes leads us away from trusting God. The truth is, and what's probably the key to this verse, and my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's not just out of His riches, like He's going to throw you a bone from time to time and say, here you go. It's according to, do you realize His riches are limitless? That God spoke into existence everything we see, hear, feel, and experience. He spoke it. He didn't pay for it and just buy it from some other person. He spoke it into existence. His riches are limitless. Now, the hard part for us to understand is sometimes maybe He doesn't meet our needs the way that we think He ought to meet our needs. Well, that's hard. I've been there. Man, that's hard. You think, God, I trust you're going to meet my need. And then somehow something happens and you think, was that it? I don't know. I'm not sure that was really meeting my need. I mean, that's the hard part. But I... A lot of, I was thinking about this when I was preparing. I think a lot of times when we think about, well, God may, I, I thought about this. I thought about what should be the tone of my voice when I express to you that God may not meet your need exactly the way he, that you think he ought to. Because, you know, most of the time we take an apologetic tone with that. You know what, God will supply your needs, but, you know, it may not be like you think it's going to be. And we forget about the glorious riches that are found in Christ Jesus, and we apologize for the fact that God may not meet our need exactly the way that we think it ought to be met. And, and I thought about, how are you going to, what, what's going to be the tone of your voice? Are you going to apologize for that? Are you going to stand before those people tonight and apologize for the fact that God may not meet their need exactly the way they, they think it ought to be met, and that God may not meet my need exactly the way I think it ought to be met? Here's the deal. God may not meet our needs the way that, we think they ought to be met. But I want to put this before you. That our greatest needs may not be what we think we need. And, and I don't know what that means in your life. 
But our greatest needs are to trust God with everything that we are. Our greatest need is to lean on Him for every single thing. Our greatest need is to have more of Him in our life, to be more filled with His Holy Spirit. Our greatest need, trust me, if you've been there, you know this, our greatest need is not to have more money in our bank account. Because if that leads us away from trusting God, then we have fallen further away from Him. Now, I'm not saying that if God meets your need financially, there's something wrong with you that you're not having your greatest need met. Don't, don't read into it. But just understand that we don't have to apologize for the fact that if God doesn't come through right when we think He ought to, in the way we think He ought to, that somehow God is not blessing us according to His riches because His riches, it says, are in Christ Jesus. They are limitless and they may not be just what we can see and put our hands around. And that's great news. I don't feel any need whatsoever, nor should you, to apologize for that part of the Scripture. Because that will far outweigh any monetary blessing God could ever give me. God will supply your needs. What about, what if, if, if our greatest needs are not necessarily money or possessions? God will supply your needs, which will allow you to relax. You ever been frustrated and uptight about your money? And everybody nodded. Okay, good. Some of you are still awake. That's good. I tell you what, is there, is there nothing like money or the lack thereof to just get you just uptight? I mean, I, maybe I'm just not as spiritual as you are, but I'm telling you, sometimes it's hard to relax over. But you know, if you, if you serve a God, who has limitless riches, who has promised out of those riches to meet every need that you have, plus the ones you don't even think need to be met, and allows you to relax. And we looked at back in the, the series 30 Days of Wisdom, we looked at how one of the principles for us have, making the most of what we have is to not wear ourselves out to get rich. When you trust God, a God who has limitless resources, you can not wear yourself out now to take care of your own needs. And you can become a little bit more immune to the bombardment of the advertisements that constantly cause discontent. And so when we trust God, we know He supplies our needs. We're able to relax. And then look at verse 20. Verse 20 is the end of the passage, so you know we're getting close to the end. So either wake up your person next to you or kind of get ready, all right? To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When we trust God, it fulfills His ultimate purpose. Follow me for just a second. God's ultimate purpose, much to our dismay maybe, is not to make us happy. God's ultimate purpose is not for us to have life exactly the way that we thought it ought to be. God's ultimate purpose has absolutely, when it comes right down to it, nothing to do with us whatsoever. God's ultimate purpose, now He uses us for this purpose, but His ultimate purpose is to glorify Himself. You may say, well, that's kind of arrogant. Who else would we have Him glorify? Us? we're, We're flawed. We're sinful. Who else should He glorify but Himself? And in doing that, when He draws attention to Himself, it is the most loving thing He can do because we know that apart from Him, we will spend eternity in hell away from Him. So if He's not glorifying Himself, then we have no hope whatsoever of eternal life. And so for Him to glorify Himself is the single most loving thing that He could do. Because now the focus gets on Him, who is our hope for salvation, instead of on us who are flawed and imperfect. 
And so, when, when we realize that trusting Him puts the focus and the glory back on Him, because trusting in ourselves takes the glory from Him, then we fulfill God's ultimate purpose. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this, this little statement down. There's a guy named John Piper who wrote a book called Desiring God. <clears throat> John Piper, it's just how it sounds. And, and in his book, he wrote this little statement that is sort of the summary for his entire book and really for this guy's entire existence. This is his pursuit. And he said this, God is most glorified. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. What's God's will for my life? How can I know if I'm on the right path? How do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? What is my purpose in life? God is most glorified in us. His purpose to glorify Himself. Our purpose to be satisfied in Him so that we can glorify Him and fulfill His ultimate purpose. What does that have to do with what we're talking about tonight? Contentment generosity, trust. Ultimately, it comes down to who are you going to be satisfied in. You're going to be satisfied in the things of this world and in your bank account and in yourself and the job that you can have, the, the, the financial trouble that you may experience. What's going to give you satisfaction? Because the truth is, that's what we're looking for. When we look for those extra zeros before the decimal, I want some satisfaction. I want some security. And God said, his purpose is to glorify Himself. And when we are satisfied in Him, we fulfill that purpose. And there's something miraculous that happens when we become so satisfied in Him and He is glorified in us that we get Him and that's more than enough. That's more than any zeros before the decimal could ever add to our lives. That's more than any new job or any advancement. It's more than anything. And again, that's one of those things that I, do, I have trouble getting words around it. But I can testify to the fact that I know it's true. When you get Jesus Christ, He's more than enough. And so, you may say, well, okay, that's great, but i still got some financial problems. i still got some issues. It's a starting point. It's just a starting point. And I, I would venture to say that, that you'll find it's also the ending point. Because when you're content through the strength of Jesus Christ you may still be emotionally affected by the things that happen to you but something incredible happens in your heart and when you're generous you may say well golly I, that's, uh, God that's, that's a tall order that you're asking me to do but I guarantee you this that your heart will be set free and, and when you trust in God and glorify Him in all that you are you may say, well, and I tell you, that kind of takes it out of my hands. <laughs> That's hard, and yeah, it is. But you will experience the most satisfaction in life that you could ever experience. And trust me, it has nothing to do with something you just, something wells up inside you, you're going to do it yourself. It has everything to do 
with Jesus and His Holy Spirit coming alive in you in a way that it hasn't before. And so if you're experiencing financial trouble, if you say, I would like a little more change in my bank account, and I'm not sure you've helped me a whole lot, I really believe that through contentment, through generosity, and through trust, that that will be the starting point, and it will be the ending point for you. And I don't know where God will take you along that journey to get from the starting point back around to the ending point. I don't know. But I can encourage you with this, that maybe you find yourself discontented, understand it's learned, and it'll take some time. So get on the path of pursuing Jesus for your contentment and not the things of this world. Maybe you say, I'm just not very generous. We talked about in the last series two things you can do. Be a percentage giver off the top. Start being a percentage giver. That, that, that's going to God first. It'll set in line who, who your money follows. And then be a spontaneous giver. You see a need, go meet it. I don't know what that means to you. I don't know how big or how small the need is. I don't know what it is. But be a, be a percentage giver, be a spontaneous giver, and then trust. Wake up each day and simply give your life over to God for that particular day. Say, God, I'm trusting you for every single thing I have. And I want to be satisfied in you because I want you to be glorified in me. We'll close in just a minute, but I don't know where that leaves your heart tonight. I think it's pretty good news. I hope that it leaves you thinking, you know what, God is something incredible and I can't fully explain Him and I'm not sure I'll ever be able to fully explain Him, but I, I know that, that He can do something in my heart that I can't do. He can give me contentment. He can make me generous and He can cause me to trust in Him and I don't know where that leaves you, but if you need to respond to God in some way tonight, maybe through prayer or through getting with someone else to have them pray for you or just through a commitment you want to make to Him, I don't, I don't know. But I don't want you to leave here just the same as you walked in. And, and again, I know that you're a very generous people, but man, I tell you what, how cool would it be to be f- just in a church full of people who by default, and I believe that we're by and large there, who by default just said, you know what? God, we're, we're content where we are because of the strength of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be as generous as we can possibly be. Not looking at ourselves as owners, but as managers. And we're going to trust God in every situation. And so that's the change that I hope will come about in our bank account. And I hope that through that, we'll understand that God meets all of our needs and and the good news is he doesn't always do that in the way that we think he ought to because his purposes are a little bit bigger than ours. And his purposes go deep to our heart. Let me pray for you and then we'll stand and we'll sing. And if you'd like to spend some time in prayer up front, that'd be certainly fine with me. If you just want to take care of business at your seat, if you want to grab somebody and have them pray for you, please do that. But uh, don't leave here without responding to God in some way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's an honor to, to read your word and um, to be able to, to try to understand it. And so, God, I pray that you'd, that you'd bring about in, in us, that you bring about contentment. God, may we pursue you each day. Make us content.
Help us to learn that secret, that we can be content through the strength that Jesus gives us. Help us to be generous. Thank you for the generosity, Lord, that we already see in this body. God, we pray that that would not be just for our benefit, but you may be glorified through that and others may see that and not be able to explain it and just simply fall on their knees because God has done something in us and they respond to you accordingly. God, help us to trust you more each day. Thank you that you don't always meet our needs the way we think they ought to be met, that you're bigger than that, that you love us more than that, that you've got greater plans than just that for us. God, we do pray for those who are dealing with financial difficulties. And God, I know in a message like this, it may not seem that we can take it and I can put the X's and O's together and it all comes out into a great game plan for my finances. But God, I, I pray that, that as you always are, you be true to your word and meet our needs. Thank you for always doing that. I pray that we'd make wise decisions financially so that we could receive your blessing. May we operate according to your principles. Help us to be content, to be generous, to trust you. In Jesus' name.